Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 860 with Kevin Cornish. Most importantly, first and foremost, we're in the hospitality business and we provide food and drinks to those people while they're here. But hospitality is definitely uh, number one in our game. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Chow Now, a commission-free online ordering system and food ordering app helping restaurants feed their hungry customers. Over 20,000 restaurants trust Chow Now for their online ordering, and this is because Chow Now helps their restaurants keep their profits, own their online experience, meet their customers everywhere, and make every diner a regular. With Chow Now, take unlimited commission-free orders through Chow Now's app and site, and there are no setup fees or monthly payments. And what I really love about Chow Now is that you get to own your customer data. This is something not all third-party ordering apps can claim. And when you schedule a demo, don't forget to ask about leveling up with Chow Now Direct, Chow Now's comprehensive online ordering and marketing package. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 30% off the Chow Now Direct annual plan. Sign up today at chownow.com slash unstoppable. That's chownow.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant unstable, Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Nowadays, people don't want to speak face-to-face. They rather communicate via text message and keep it anonymous. Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is convenient to you. And I think the most valuable aspect of Talk to the Manager is that you give people an opportunity to vent before they go public and write a negative review. Sometimes people just want to be heard and talk to the manager gives them that opportunity to be heard. Plus, you don't have to worry about your information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the phone number that Talk to the Manager provides. Also, with Talk to the Manager, it's like having a secret shopper. People will tell you any issues they come across at your restaurants, whether you want to hear them or not, but they'll be brought to your attention and that will help you improve your business. Show your guests you care enough to listen with Talk to the Manager. Head to talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60-day trial. What's going on, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today, but a quick reminder that this podcast needs your support. One way you can support the show is by making sure 
All of your restaurant friends know about this. The more people who download this podcast, the more successful, the more I can charge for ad space and the the more I can do to serve you. So please spread the word about Restaurant Unstoppable podcast, all of your restaurant friends. Today, we're talking to Kevin Cornish and Kevin has a wild story. So he's from New Hampshire and in his early 20s, he decides to make his way down to St. Thomas because a friend invited him down there to give him a hand with his business. Uh, and Kevin's role was going to be operating a sub shop in the back of this business. Uh, needless to say, that didn't really go too well. I think it only lasted a couple months. And uh, Kevin's next venture was in Miami, where he opened a nightclub or like a, it was a music venue with like mostly rock and roll from what I understood. And from what I can understand, it was really successful. Uh, however, it wasn't profitable. They had lines out the door and they had packed houses all the time, but they weren't making any money. Uh, and eventually, after a couple of years, that ended up uh, fizzling out. So after a couple of failures, Kevin says, you know, if I don't make it on this next project, then I'm done. And for him, that was opening Casey's Rib Shack in Litchfield, New Hampshire. And it was just a little shack with a window. Uh, and for the first, like, I think he said for the first, I don't know if it was the first year, but he was sleeping on the bathroom floor of this location to get this thing going. Uh, and eventually he just, you know, he, he kept showing up, showing up, getting more busy, more busy. He relocated to Manchester, had a bigger space. Then they kept on adding onto that space. And they went from a, a four, I think it was a four table restaurant or maybe it was four seats to now, I think over 300 seats, three dining rooms and an outside patio. And if this isn't an inspiring story of just showing up and sacrificing and constantly improving and growing, uh, then I don't know what is. It's a really inspiring story. So with no further ado, here he is. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest owner at KC's Rib Shack, Kevin Cornish. Kevin, are you feeling unstoppable? As always. Yes, man. I cannot wait to dive into your story. And a special shout out to Carol Lawrence for calling you out to be a guest on the show. If you want to check out that episode, she was 858 really just a couple of weeks ago. I was over there. Uh, but today we're here to focus on you. But before we dive into your story, who you are, how you got here, and just just everything about Casey's Rib Shack, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a, a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? I think one mantra I always pass along to my uh, employees is that most importantly, first and foremost, we're in the hospitality business and we provide food and drinks to those people while they're here. But hospitality is definitely uh, number one in our game. So what is hospitality to you? What, what does that mean? I think hospitality is just making people feel comfortable to be here. You know, um, I've seen I've seen a meme before that said something to the effect of hospitality is making somebody feel at home even when you wish they were home. <laughs> so what what is that feeling? Get into the, what that feeling is in your mind. Um, I think that feeling is – I think it's a lot of different things that convey that. One thing Danny Myers always said was that you don't have to be – the best at everything you just need to be somebody's favorite and i'm sure there's probably places that you go to to you know and i may say do they have the best burger in the world and you're like no not necessarily do they have the coldest beer in the world no eh, it's pretty good you know but but it's your favorite place because of the the feeling that it provides you while you're there familiarity yeah right and and it's weird because i think on that subject it's weird because people will always say like this is my 
favorite type of pizza or this is my favorite type of, of Chinese food. And, and it's always a matter of wherever your first place was. Whatever you grew up on sure. is what's best, right? Because that's, that's, that's familiar to mm-hmm. you. And what you're saying, it's exactly the same. Like People are going to go to, what, to, where, to where they feel familiarity sure and that's i think one of the important things is we have a lot of we have a lot of staff that's been here for you know eight nine ten eleven years you know even more than that 15 years and i think that part of that familiarity especially in these times uh helps because it's you know it's somebody that somebody can walk in here and uh you know try and um uh and feel it feel at home whether they've been here you know, once or whether they've been here 20 times. I just put a note to go deeper into the creating that atmosphere of familiarity because I want to come back to this. But I do want to f- start way back where this, where, like, where does the story start for you, right? So you started KC's in 1998, correct? Correct, yeah. Uh, so we're going almost, wait, was that 24 years? 24, yeah, 23, 24 years. 23, yeah. 24 years. What got you into this industry? What were you doing before KC's? Kind of paint that big picture for us. Uh, I owned a printing company at the time in the um, uh, in the nineties, uh, late nineties, and uh, I had I had kind of gone to Miami in the late eighties, early nineties, and had a rock club down there, and I think that was kind of um, my first foray into the hospitality business, if you will. We really didn't serve food or anything like that. We just had five to seven bands a night, seven nights a week with live music and um, cheap booze. You know? Okay. <laughs> so was the printing company after this? Yeah. So the printing, actually the printing company was a little before that. And then when I came back to New Hampshire, the printing equipment was still there. And okay. so I said, well, I'm going to, you know, I'll reopen the printing company, which okay. I did. And uh, with a partner of mine, but the thing was, is that was, it was a time when the printing industry was changing. There was, it was moving from this, it would, Ink based uh, to more towards a digital based. Um, there was less and less. More people were doing graphics at their house because they had computers. More people were printing off things at their house. So, so we were a small business printer, printing business forms and things like that. But it the um, like I said, the times were changing, and it was a matter of either having to jump ship and kind of invest a lot of money in new digital equipment or kind of do something that I I felt as though I wanted to do. And and at the time, barbecue was a hobby of mine. It was something that I did every single weekend. Myself and my partner, Greg, we would get together and it would usually start out around eight o'clock at night of, hey, let's Let's cook some ribs, you know, and we would um, we would go down to the store and. So we talk about your partner. Are you talking about your business partner when you were at the Rock Club in the eighties? No, my my bar. I have a partner here at the oh, restaurant, okay. gotcha. uh, Greg, and okay. um, uh, at the time we would just kind of uh, we were just experimenting with ribs, and I think we had gone out to. I had read about this guy in Putney, Vermont, Curtis. Uh, he can call himself the eighth wonder of the world, and it was my first real exposure to uh, to real barbecue. When I grew up, barbecue was hot dogs and hamburgers and yeah. uh, maybe a piece of chicken that had been soaked in barbecue sauce and the barbecue sauce was burnt on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, And so that was what... 
was considered barbecue to us. Yeah, you New know? Hampshire and, barbecues, uh, grilling. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And so, so real uh, quick, I want to make sure I'm fully um, abreast with you. So, you you started the, print, the printing company. This was mid '80s. Yeah, you, start, you put the you put that on ice. You head down to Florida. Uh, you start your your rock club, uh, and eventually you come back to New Hampshire. When, what? And is this when you're you're doing all this barbecuing and you're you're doing things? Yeah, when I came back to New Hampshire. When you came back, okay. When I came back, and I had I had um, I think prior to prior to moving to Miami, I had gone and uh, actually no, it was after it was when I got back from Miami, I I discovered Curtis's out in Vermont, yeah. and it was the first time I saw somebody with a you know a, a an oil drum cut in half with a chain link fence and a floor mop filled and and just you know i ordered in the side of a school bus uh these ribs and stood around for a half an hour while i waited for this guy to cook the ribs and chicken and there were a bunch of other people and a bunch of picnic tables and i i thought to myself this is awesome i want to do this you know and i i remember coming back and years later um even while I had the printing company kind of exploring around Manchester, trying to find like this dirt lot where I was going to do something similar to this. And I remember going to the state of New Hampshire with these plans because I had found this dirt lot over on the other side of town and saying, here, I'm going to open up this barbecue joint and I'm going to, you know, cook ribs and chicken on a chain link fence and, uh, you know, in a, in a, <laughs> dirt parking lot and serve it out of the school bus and uh, How'd that go? At the, yeah <laughs> they said it doesn't work that way <laughs> and i said no i saw them doing it in vermont they said they might do that way in they might, vermont, they might fly know? in vermont but <laughs> so um, you need bathrooms you need a parking lot you need yeah. uh, all this stuff so you know? i don't know why my mind's so like geared towards chronological thinking uh what what year did you come back to the new hampshire it was probably ninety five, ninety six. Okay, so you get like three years before coming back and actually opening. So this process that you're going through is like a three year window where this is all going down. Yeah, and and so we had, you know, when I came back, uh, uh, as I said, there were many nights that uh, we would we would cook until three or four o'clock in the morning because it was always a hey we should make some barbecue and it was you know ten o'clock at night by the time we started cooking, and I remember I had. I had those little R2-D2 smokers, the little Brickman ones, and, and I used to flip their legs and bolt them to the outside, and then you could stack like three of them high. So it looked like this rocket ship in my backyard, and oh, I could have all these layers of of food. And uh, so that began the the experimentation, you know, okay. of... of uh, and I think, and then it, and then once I I had this idea, I was going to go into the barbecue mail order business. When I decided I was going to sell my printing company, and um, uh, in the late nineties, and then I decided I was going to start right. marketing barbecue sauce and things like that online. Let's bookmark this and go back in time to when you you head out to Miami. Miami, because you said that was your first like venture into the hospitality industry. So I want to learn about all the the crazy shit that you learned the hard way, <laughs> right? So going back, uh, it's mid eighties. What, what's the year when you head down in Miami? Eighty nine. Eighty nine. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you opened this this rock club in Miami. Was the reason to go down there to open this club? Like, was it to just fall on your lap? No, like, I, uh, uh, actually, a, a friend. 
years before that, um, I had gone to, I went to college in Laconia and one of my best friends one night kind of spun the globe. He was over school. He was had it. He was, I'm leaving. I'm doing something else. He spun the globe and he landed by St. Thomas and he said, I'm moving to the Virgin Islands. And he moved down to the Virgin Islands and, um, ended up coming across he was working at this bar i remember we went down to visit him in st thomas and he was working at this bar and the guy who owned the bar was from ireland and there was all this craziness going on in ireland and he had to go home so we sold the bar to my buddy for a buck um plus the the rent obviously and uh so i flew down there and um kind of opened up a sub shop in the back of that bar that he had in St. Thomas just for a few months. It wasn't because I, that was the only experience I had was kind of making subs, you know, the story's unfolding. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So so. you're okay. So how old are you? Let's not to date you. I'm probably 22, 20, 22 at this point. Yeah. I love hearing when people get started early though, because you know that you're, you're so wet behind the years at this point. You're so green. There's just so many things you haven't learned yet. Reflecting back at that time, like knowing what you know now, uh, like what would you have done differently? What were the things you learned from this experience? Um, I wouldn't have opened the sub shop in St. Thomas. You know, I remember, I remember some hard mistakes. It was St. Patty's day. I remember like the only way you could get stuff was to bring it in from the mainland, you mm-hmm. know? And, uh, I remember we ordered like 120 pounds. We were doing this, going to do this corned beef thing, you know, it was St. Patty's day. And I ordered, I forget how many pounds of corned beef, Shul and Weber corned beef or whatever from New York. I had it shipped in. It was so expensive, and I I think we might have sold like ten sandwiches. And I I had <laughs> I had corned beef for the rest of the existence of the sub <laughs> shop, you know, because um, we just had so much of it. But that was a that was a short lived thing. And when I came back to um, New Hampshire, my partner who had kind of dragged me down to St. Thomas, who was my college friend opened up a a restaurant in Miami Beach. Okay. Um and uh and so he kind of invited me down in January to come well hey Kev wanted to come run this restaurant with me or what have you, you know. Uh I got down there, I decided to move down. He flew me down for a weekend. I I loved Miami. In February, Miami's nice, you know. Yeah. So what's <laughs> and, the year now? Nineteen ninety, nineteen ninety one? this is um now this is probably that. this is probably uh eighty eight something okay. somewhere in that ballpark okay. and then and then yeah and then we decided I decided to move down there like shortly thereafter it might have been eighty nine and um and he had this this restaurant which was just not very successful and i I think I was there for maybe a couple of weeks, and one of the things I noticed about Miami Beach was there was no live music venues there was absolutely nothing you know it was a, a lot of salsa clubs and you know Cuban rock i mean Cuban dance clubs and things like that and I had come from New England, Boston, the channel, you know, all this stuff. And so, um, so that's what we kind of tried to re- recreate down there was this, you know, live music venue. So we didn't have, we didn't have food. We didn't have anything. We opened at 10 o'clock at night. We closed at five o'clock in the morning, seven nights a week. We had three to seven bands a night, um, every night of the week, 
hundred percent original. You played one cover song would pull the faders back on you, you know. And uh, um, so, I suppose that was uh, that was certainly the the hospitality business, but it wasn't the food. Yeah. It wasn't the food business, you well, know. I mean, knowing what you know now, reflecting at this business that you help your friend open, being there a part of it, where did you go wrong? Knowing what you know now, what would you? What, what do you think were the reasons why this restaurant wasn't successful? Um, we were, we were doing it with, I think the biggest problem was we were doing it with his dad's money. Okay. His dad had plenty of money and, and it was kind of just, um, if anything, funding our party. <laughs> so he wasn't really out at this point, maybe a little too mature, immature, naive and just look out, going out to have a good time. Possibly. We, we tried very hard, you yeah. know what I mean? But, yeah. but we, we also, you know, it was, um, it was Miami in the, in the eighties, you know, yeah. <laughs> and it was, it You're was 23 chaos. years old, 21 yeah. years old, 22 yeah, years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, the stories, you know what I mean? I know I, there's pictures of them, you know, there's that kind of bring back memories. I was funny. I was talking to one of my old bartenders from there this morning and, uh, he was whipping off a bunch of dates and months and sing like that, you know, Oh, that's this guy. Cause one of the, one of the bartenders who used to work for us passed away. And so he said, Oh, this guy, yeah, John started in May and he, he worked until June of, uh, you know, of, of 90 or 92 or something. And, and I'm like, how do you recall these months? I knew, I know there's five years that I, five, six years I lived in Miami, you know, but, um, it's all a, uh, it's all a blur to me, but, uh, but it's funny that club that we had down in Miami still has a Facebook page with, it's been, you know, closed for 25 years and it still has a Facebook page with over a thousand, people that used to go there it was so important to them and uh we've had a couple of reunions uh we did a 20-year reunion that we had like four or five hundred people come to so it sounds like you had you did have some success with the oh club. yeah yeah we yeah. it was it was it was a legendary club it was very we we did uh we were doing more live music than you know a lot of bands in the country there were a couple other places but uh so we 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 did have success it was kind of a legendary club but it we lost about a quarter of a million of my my buddy's dad's money along the way so was it ever profitable did you ever get into the black no okay no <laughs> not even close so you were having a good time it was packed but you didn't you, at this point in your life you really didn't learn much about how to be a success, no, successful no yeah person. we it was like you know uh, you came in 11 i remember we had a deal with budweiser and we had all these glasses made and it was eleven dollars you kept the glass you drank all night for the for the night we had no wonder why you guys are so popular (laughs) we had 12 funnels hanging around the bar and if you drank anything through the funnel it was half price Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Man, it's wild times. So, uh, <laughs> people are funneling margaritas and, uh, you know. So, I mean, what is there a lesson to be learned in all this? Don't funnel margaritas. Don't funnel margaritas. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is all happening. You, you launched the, the club in 89. How long, did, how long of a run did it have? Uh, about five, five and a half years okay. uh, before. I, I kind of... I didn't like Miami while I was down there. I loved what I was doing. You know what I mean? I was living the rock star life Which for a while. Which part of it did you love, actually? What was the part that you loved? Um, 
I loved what I was doing. I, I loved the I loved the the uh, the entertainment business as far as you know. I was I was the you know kind of the the king of this rock club down there, you know, and uh, myself and my partner, and we had, uh, um, you know, there was lots of uh, lots of music and lots of girls, and um, it was uh, it was it was a, it was a lot of fun. I I enjoyed what I was doing, but I didn't enjoy. You know, Miami, it was, um, at the time, it was, you know, it was the changing time of Miami. Miami had was, had been taken over in the early seventies by the, by Cuban immigrants who Castro had let, let out, you know, and so Miami, Miami Beach had become nothing but, Cuban bodegas and you know all these uh, stores. We took over a Seventh Day Adventist church to build our rock club there. But but it was you know it was a changing time. It was the beginning of what Miami Beach has become now. You know it went from kind of this bodega neighborhood yeah, type p- situation to more of a glitz and glamour yeah right the you know party the supermodel nightlife uh money started moving in right there was there was a period during the uh during the 70s and 80s where you didn't want to go to miami beach you know and uh and so as it started we were part of the certainly part of the revitalization so kind of like what's happening in nashville now and like austin texas now where Mm -hmm. there's like this transformation going and it's happening fast yeah this was what was going on in miami yeah this time yep lots of a big explosion lots of growth Right. right and it was my it was my first time of any period out of New Hampshire, you know what I mean. So it was a little bit of a cultural shock to me as well. Yeah. You know, there were a lot of people and things I had never seen before. Yeah. You know? So you said what it was that you loved was the entertaining, the hosting, the throwing of the party, being being that the guy in the center. Right? Mm-hmm. What What were you good at? What was your talent? Um, I think my talent was just uh, you know, we was bringing in a lot of the a lot of the bands and and being that being that guy for a while that that I was the guest host you know what I mean I was the the guy who kind of just walked around and uh and was welcoming to everybody I was there pretty much every night um and uh I think I was I think I was good at being the face of the the face of the business um be it in the media or, uh, as well as, as well as while we were there, you know? Mm-hmm. So at that, there was certainly some lessons throughout all the debauchery, some lessons to be learned out of, uh, out of Miami, you know, whether I realized it or not, but I guess looking back at it. Now, yeah. you know. So that leads me into the next question during this time, reflecting back, what were your weaknesses knowing what you know now? Um, I would say the, the weakness was just being naive, you know, and not not really um uh not really knowing what what we should have been to doing. To be profitable basically. Yeah. You right. know how to be busy, you didn't know how to be profitable. Right. Yeah. And that's I remember somebody saying to me, you know, I remember somebody saying, "Hey, how's business?" I was like, "Great, we have a freaking line going around you the Can't see the line? Uh, yeah, down the <laughs> block, you know, and and you said anybody can have a line going around the block. You know, yeah. you gotta, you gotta make money at it. You yeah, know, and I, I think that was kind of what we hadn't learned yet. You know, yeah. was how to make money at you, it. You point, you, you made the point that there was a tons of lessons that you learned during this time, and uh, eventually we're gonna take a break to you know come and talk about what you've done here at KC's. Uh, but 
I want to know before I, I pull back the layers and really start probing. What what do you know to be true about the lessons learned and in, in the the time the way you transformed as a professional during this time? Um, I don't know. I don't know if I really. Uh, I don't know that there was a lot of a lot more learning at that time, honestly, because I really I didn't foresee myself as being in this industry then. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of thought that I don't know what industry I saw myself in, but I, um, uh, you know, when I when I bailed out of Miami, I was happy to bail out of Miami and uh, just get back to New England. And um, I had no at that point no inkling of an idea that I was going to ever open a restaurant yeah. or anything like that. So I don't think I was really trying to learn anything, gotcha. you know, you weren't, you weren't really living intentionally to build something to go on and do your own thing. Eventually at this point, you're still kind of uh, moving with the, the tide. Yeah. 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 I was yeah. trying to <laughs> make a buck and party. I am curious though, just because I want to understand how crazy of a place this was. Is there one story that comes to mind that kind of paints the picture of how off the hinge you guys were back then? There, there were, there were a lot, but there were, there were some, there were, some, there were some, uh, um, there were some groups that would come in. There's a band that's still around called the Jenna Torturers, okay. and and um, we would actually, we would actually lock the front door when they would begin because they they had uh, literally racks that they would tie people to that would spin around, and there was. Um, uh, there was, you know, masturbation going on on stage and, uh, just, uh, total, like they would bring out a two by four and kind of stretch somebody's genitals out onto this two by four with nails and such. It oh my was, God. It was crazy. And there was, there would be everybody there kind of blocking their eyes in this revulsion, but looking <laughs> at the same time, you know, kind of, Oh, what, a, how you're, you know, and this, we had them on several occasions and, and there were a lot of other, um, uh, like the Marilyn Manson, uh, it's the shock uh, and awe. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of, and, and these were things that I didn't even really know was going to happen, you know, as prior to the show happening, I was standing there and just as in shock as everybody else. But I think but. you've learned, I think you took some elements away from that because not to say that you're stretching out genitals on your bar behind you anymore or anything like that, <laughs> but there are things that you do that are like shocking, like having a meal that's served on a shovel. Sure, sure. You know, like little things like uh, juxtaposition, right? Things that aren't normal that you wouldn't see anywhere else. That's exactly what they're doing, and that's why they had a crowd because mm-hmm. you would never see anything as wild as that right. in public. So you, they they knew that if you're going to this, this you're going to see some shit, right? Right. And I think that <laughs> is it safe to say you've carried some of these elements with you to this day to like sure work a crowd, sure. You know, and that that's the thing. I always I always like to give try and give there's several things here on our menu or here that I, I always like to give somebody something to talk about when they go back to work the next day, you know, whether they were part of it or not, you know, even if somebody just comes in and they're sitting there having a sandwich, if, you know, somebody goes, brings a shovel of food to somebody next to them or, you know, a, um, we serve drinks and these, uh, we have these, uh, beach pails with, um, you know, the, 
the shovels and everything with them or it's it, you know there's things that people are are able to talk about we have um a campfire at your table that we do with marshmallows and s'mores that we bring out the little uh poo poo platter thing with the flame where you cook your own s'mores at the table you know yeah and it's stuff like that and it, and it may not like i said you may not order it but if the people next to you or even the people on the other side of the room are flaming marshmallows you smell it all the way across the room you know you're like who's making candy or who's you know because <laughs> that burning sugar smell is just so addictive so um yeah yeah no beautifully put i mean i don't need to add anything more to that uh so let's start talking about that you you're, you're happy to come back to new hampshire you still had all of your equipment uh, all of your printing equipment here uh that's what you do to, when you hit the ground when you come back. But eventually, you're, you're playing with this idea. I want to open a barbecue place. Well, I I I, I decided that I it was time to get out of the printing business because the the industry was changing. The writing was on the wall. Not the writing on was on the wall. We <laughs> not to mention we had a we had a company that eighty percent of our business as a commercial printer was coming from this company. We were like the printing division of this marketing company, and they were kind of segueing into their own printing business and going out and getting their own equipment. So I saw that that end of the business going away and and as I said the industry was changing to more of a a digital a digital age. So it was time to time to bail. Um and so one of the things I was had looked into at the time, like like you said, you had listened to many podcasts, and I, I had listened to several podcasts regarding uh, online marketing mm-hmm. and things like that. And so, w- one of the things I wanted to do was put together this mail order barbecue company selling Bloody Mary mix, uh, Bloody Mary, I mean barbecue sauces, mops, and you know brushes and yep. things like that. Uh, that. I really couldn't figure out how I was going to survive doing that. So over the course of two months, I basically, I remember going up on, getting a ladder and going up on the roof of my house and disconnecting my cable so that I couldn't watch TV, you know, because <laughs> I wanted to, I got, I have no business anymore. I have this amount of money in the bank. I need to figure out what I'm going to do, you know. And well, you're pointing out something that's like a great trick of the trade if you're trying to get into your ass into gear is eliminate distraction control your environment right exactly and yeah. there's things you can do to like the, we talk about this a lot in the habits club and that's one of the things they talk about uh in atomic habits is what can you do to in to control to, to be, what can you do with your immediate environment to increase the odds of you doing whatever it is that you're set out to do right and like like laying out your gym clothes is an example the night before but another sure. thing you can do is eliminating distraction uh, and I think that's just a great tip right there. Do what, do what you got to do to get the job done. Yeah, well, I went up and disconnect. I didn't want to like you know cancel the cable, but I, <laughs> I I did go up on the roof and got a ladder and disconnected it so that I could not turn it on. And um, uh, and I that's when I really dove into kind of learning a. I remember before we opened, I had my web page. This is um, you know ninety. 98 i have my web page completely done and designed and, and that's impressive in 98 everything you know I kinda, yeah I, I just i it's what i spent time doing you know after i decided okay i'm gonna do something like this i'm gonna open this teeny little barbecue joint and i remember i remember doing up this like three page uh business plan and 
going to my mom and my brother and my sister and everybody going, here, here's my plan. I'm going to open this barbecue joint, you know. And they had, I had been, I, I can't count how many little stupid businesses I've, I've done over the years, you know what I mean? Just because I always kind of had that entrepreneurial spirit, I guess, you know. Um, so I remember going in. I think I think my family was over these <laughs> ideas at this point, and uh, my mom had certainly lent me more money than she was going to lend me for <laughs> another failed business, you know. And it, you know, definitely with the restaurant business having such a high failure rate that it is, and here I'm like, no, 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 this is know, the one. This is this is it, you know. And I'm I like, think this is this is a great time to take our first break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back to kind of unpackage how you made it go, how you, how you how you executed this. Today's episode is brought to you by Chow Now, a commission-free online ordering system and food ordering app helping restaurants feed their hungry customers. Over 20,000 restaurants trust Chow Now for their online ordering. This is because Chow Now helps restaurants keep their profits, own their online experience, meet their customers everywhere, and make every diner a regular. Here's how it works. Chow Now clients get listed on the free Chow Now marketplace. Once they're there, they can meet new customers and take unlimited commission-free orders through Chow Now's app and site. There is no setup fee or monthly payment. Now, this is what I really love about Chow Now. You get access to valuable customer data, which allows you to personalize the experience and the relationship with your guest. In other words, you own the relationship with your guests, something not all third-party ordering apps can claim. And we cannot wrap up this message without telling you about how to level up with Chow Now Direct. Chow Now Direct is Chow Now's comprehensive online ordering and marketing package. With Chow Now Direct, you get your own branded ordering app for iPhone or Android, email and print marketing, plus POS integration and much more. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 30% off the Chow Now Direct annual plan. Sign up at www.chownow.com slash unstoppable. That's chownow.com slash unstoppable. We're back, and you just started talking about what was leading up to this venture, Casey's uh, Barbecue. Sh- Wait, sorry, full name is Casey's Rib Shack. Um, it's funny. Funny thing is, it was it, it, the initial name was Casey's Smoke Shack Barbecue. That was okay. The, that's what the logo was. It was this oval logo. As I said, I had the web page done. Everything was done prior to prior to opening. So I had this logo that had the KC in the middle, and then at the top it said Smoke Shack, and at the bottom it said Barbecue. And then um, <coughs> we, I finally, um, I had convinced a, a a friend of mine who owned a owned a newspaper up here to uh, or a small marketing newspaper to kind of go into business with me and open this little barbecue joint because my family as i was saying i had approached my family to um have them lend me money and they were having nothing whatsoever to do is, with it is this greg we're talking about uh no great not greg yet it, um was my friend brian uh, and right as we were about to sign the lease on this small little property in Manchester, uh, he called me up and he said, Hey, my wife's pregnant. I can't roll the dice. Mm. You know, I gotta, I gotta 
buckle down and do what I'm doing, you know. And um, so I'm, I'm kind of curious. I want to unpackage a few things because you said that you at this point you're you're rolling the dice on a bunch of you're throwing a bunch of things at the wall to see it's what's would stick. And there is other businesses you started before this. Obviously, we talked about the, the nightclub. You're up in New Hampshire. Um, what was different about this? I mean, you you had some ventures that you started and failed. What were you going to do differently this time, or what did you what do you think you did differently this time that made it work? I think I I mean at the time I I think I just felt a little bit more knowledgeable. You know, I like I said I had I had I had taken those two months off to really just dive into it and study it. What and, were you looking like reflecting back? What were you looking to study? What were you going after? What information were you interested in? Um, I think at the time it was more just, uh, about uh, learning about barbecue. You know, I joined a couple of barbecue forums on online and was just talking to, that was my first stepping into talking to people that owned barbecue businesses, you know, how do you hold it? How do you hold the meat, you know, after you've cooked it? How do you, are you reheating it? Are you doing this or what are you, what are you doing? Um, uh, and as well as just cooking practices, because one of the things that, you know, when you're cooking in your backyard every weekend, you're making barbecue and it becomes a hobby of yours. It, 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 it's ever changing. You know, I never did it the same way. I was always, I mean, maybe the cooking process kind of honed in on being, this is the temperature I like and this is the time I like, but the every week was a different rub, you yeah. know, every week was a different sauce. Every week was, a, you know, something different. And, and I think that was the toughest part about trying to, you know, to open a restaurant was to come up with those to say, okay, now I have to come up with one rub. You know, I have to come up with out of all these rubs that I've been making over the last couple of years that I've enjoyed, you know, I have to find one rub. I have to find one sauce that I like, you know, and I I remember even leading up before we opened, I would do these like rib offs where I would cook off like six different racks of ribs with different rubs. And I would invite my friends over and I would give them these little scorecards to go through and test out which which rub do you like the best? You know, which sauce do you like the best out of these six ribs? And the funny thing was that a lot of times it wasn't my choice as to what was the favorite. Well, what's really great and what's really exciting about what you're giving us right now is this is what everybody should be doing if they want to open a restaurant. You don't start with the turning the key to the door, unlocking the door. It starts with having, and today this, this is in the form of pop-ups. This is, and pop-ups don't start publicly. They start with, your mom and your dad sure. and you invite your brother and your sister and you, you you make the tweaks you get feedback and then that spills over to friends and, and, and extended family right and all you're doing this entire time is you're you're just testing your recipes you're looking for feedback you're also collecting emails phone numbers so when you do launch all these people that were a part of your early days you get to say hey we found a brick and mortar you're bringing people with you you're establishing rapport you know like, what's sure. going through your mind as i say this um yeah, a lot of a lot of that a lot of that was true. I I, I don't think I was uh, you know as far as um, I wasn't collecting uh, at that at this point it was just merely friends yeah. and such you know. Um, but it it was it certainly kind of honed me in on the right direction you yeah. know. But there was there was so much even by the time we opened I was still pretty clueless as to what 
what we were doing or what yeah. our direct. I think what I was trying to do was just let the listeners know that like what you were doing way back in like the nineties is essentially what a pop up. I mean, this is the stuff you want to do with a pop up today. Sure, and you yep. can use these pop ups to establish your brand, to establish your list, and to get the word out there, to get feedback, to fine tune your recipes, and literally just have fun with it. Because at this point, you don't even know if you're going to open. You're just trying to see if this is what you want to do. Right, right. right. Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, and then once my I kind of. Proof of concept, right? Once my uh, once my other my first friend who was going to be going to business with me kind of backed out. At that point, I thought he was kind of my money guy, and this is Brian, I, Brian, and I had kind of uh, kind of pissed through most of the money that I had made or off of my printing company. Um, How much I, money did you have put aside? Oh, I remember. I only had like. Six or seven grand that I sold like my half of the printing company to because whatever we owed at that point, you know. Um, and then, um, I was down to I think I had about two thousand dollars left in wow. the uh, left in the bank, and uh, and I said, okay, it's, I either got to get a job or something, and or I need to launch a restaurant with two thousand dollars. And you chose to launch a restaurant with two thousand. And uh, well, I found another friend who had two thousand dollars as well, so we had four thousand dollars between us. Wow. This, this is my friend Greg, who was going through a similar situation with his industry of the auto parts industry. His family had owned a Napa store, and he was kind of getting crushed by the the pet boys and the auto palaces and things like that that were coming in, and you know he was finding he could buy parts for his car cheaper by going to his competitors than buying them wholesale through Napa. Yeah, it's hard um, to compete with that. And uh, the same thing was happening to me with because you had the Office Max and the Kinkos and things like that, these copy centers that were coming in that were taking away a lot of my copy business or um, uh, small printing uh, business. So uh so i i tried talking him into opening a restaurant he said kevin you know anything but a restaurant and he really had no restaurant skills he had never worked in a restaurant i think he might have flipped burgers at canopy lake park for a summer you know and the same thing with me i other than making working in the sub shop for a summer in high school and my you know quick St. Thomas sub shop that lasted a couple of months. You know? Yeah, <laughs> that was that was about all of my experience as well. well so. I was curious. You mentioned Brian. I know he eventually wasn't able to go through with it because his wife got pregnant, um, which is a great reason to not open a restaurant. <laughs> uh, but you did point out that he had a small marketing newspaper, and I thought that was really smart. As far as like, okay, who do I partner with? You're going with somebody who can help get the word out. Like sure. Somebody, so in your mind, what was your strategy behind going to somebody? Is it like, hey, like that was certainly a big part of it. You yeah. know, was was he and and he continues to to this day. He he owns several other restaurants and he markets them like you wouldn't believe through his publications. You yeah. Know, what you, was the publication? It's Spectrum Monthly. Okay. Here gotcha. in, uh, and uh, he has several other uh, restaurants. So at this point, had he ever owned a restaurant, Brian? No. Okay. No. So he not, not to my knowledge. Okay. No. Um, so that doesn't work out. You got into the reasons why that didn't work out, but eventually you were able to recruit Greg. What was it that pulled him into the, the abyss that is the restaurant? Just the, the, I think it was the, he said, Kevin, well, well, you know, I was like, we got to do something, you know? And he said, you know, anything but the restaurant business, I'll do anything. I'm not getting into the restaurant business with you. Those words right now. And, uh, (laughs) and I found a, um, 
I found a little Chinese food restaurant out in Litchfield, New Hampshire, that was $1,000 a month, and it had a, a little rib oven in it that they would cook the Chinese ribs in, and uh, had like four walks, and that was, and that was it. And, um, uh, as I said, it was $1,000 a month, and I, I said to him, listen, it's, you know, you have two grand, I have two grand if we are to, um, uh, you know, if we put a thousand dollars down or a thousand dollars for the first month's rent, I think it was a thousand dollars for security deposit. And then it might have been, uh, whatever the case was, we ended up with a thousand dollars left over. I think it cost us three grand to move in. So we had a thousand dollars between the two of us. We went out and bought a five hundred dollar star grill that we put on top of one of the, uh, one of the walks. And then, um, um, that was that was it. We uh, we by the time we we spent about a month, uh, the first month kind of experimenting. We didn't open up uh, for that first month, and then um, we uh, I I actually I had that two thousand dollars that I had. Well, that was my rent money. So I I basically lived in my apartment until the sheriff showed up and kicked me out because and he said hey we need your money and i said i don't have any money because i'll put it all into the business at this yeah. point so at that point i actually um put all my stuff in storage and i started living in the handicapped bathroom oh in the, the bathroom at at the restaurant we weren't open yet the you know we we just were kind of going through the the recipes for the first month trying to get everything down and i had a little air mattress that i would put in the the handicapped bathroom and i would blow up and that's where i slept for a month or so while we were kind of getting things ready we would work in the restaurant all day and then um uh at night i would just kind of uh go crawl into the bathroom and fall asleep. Well, I mean, I I love this part of the conversation when we talk about early on what people are willing to go to, the extremes people are willing to go to to see their vision come to fruition, right? And I think it's important to to spell out to people that like it's going to be tough. You're going to have to sacrifice and really answer this question. Are you willing to sleep on the the floor of your bathroom to to make it happen? And if the answer is no, then you might not want – Right. To try because you might have to, you know, and it's really important that I think people recognize how much sacrifice is necessary early on, unless you're just extremely overcapitalized, which sure. happens, but it's unlikely. Unless right. you're, 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 and when, when that does happen nine times out of 10, it, it's, it's not going to work because work. you weren't willing to sleep on a fucking bathroom floor to make it happen. You right. might have the money, but you do have the passion, the, the, the dedication, the, the, the desire Going through all this stuff, sacrificing makes it, it. It's what's the word? It clinches. It's like when that. What's that process when you're making a, a blade? You put it in the the, the cold oh, water yeah. and it sure. makes a, that. That's what's happening. Yeah, you know, it's 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 making galvanizing. Is that the we're not galvanizing? That's something different. But I yeah. should probably research these words before I try to use them. <laughs> um, no, but that's so important. Uh, so how long? Did you live like this before you started getting in the black? There, there was about a. There was about a. a a month that I lived like that, and then I, then I, I my sister said, "Where are you I, sleeping?" <laughs> she <laughs> yeah, asked. Yeah, like, they, oh. they, I actually had a. It was either there, and then I had a. Um, I had a. I remember I had the '76 Chevy van, primer gray, and uh, and I would sleep in it on some nights, and it had this 
vent, you know, like remember the old hippie vans had the yeah. vent in the roof or whatever. And I remember it pouring one night and the rain is just dripping on my face <laughs> from this vent. And I think I, I think that might have been my my switch from sleeping in the van to, hey, I'm going to go sleep in this restaurant that I'm renting, you know, yeah. and, and uh, that and then eventually after that, I moved into my uh, to my sister's house. And shortly after we opened, I, I found a, a house for rent. You know, down the street from the, a very small house that I um, that I moved into with, L- literally, like most of my staff lived there as well. I had a bunch of high school kids living in the basement. How old were you at this point? I'm curious. I mean, you said oh. you were 22. Yeah, when no. you were in Miami, 21. So yeah, no, five years is, later, late 20s, early 30s. Yeah, yeah, early 30s. I mean, it was yeah. This was 20, 25 years ago. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and I'm. I'm 58 now, so yeah. Um, so, so just painting the picture of what it takes to get the, the you know the the plane off the runway, right? Just to even get airborne. Like well, so it's kind of it's kind of funny that you know every business magazine you'll ever read says that, or business book says you should have a, a year of income, like in yeah. the bank before you open this business. We didn't have one week of income. You know, yeah. we we literally had to we had. When it came time to open up, we had to go borrow $500 to go buy food for day one. And we did that, bought food for day two. You know what I mean? And we sold that food and bought food for day three. We literally did that. And then I think after we were open for, we were only open for about two weeks in Litchfield. And we had a initial success because in Litchfield, New Hampshire, you kind of have a captive audience. There's, you know, people were waiting for us to open for... How far is Litchfield from Manchester? It's It touches Manchester. Okay. It's connected. It's maybe... It's a 10-minute drive to the original location. So why was there an audience in, in Litchfield for this? Just because it's a, it's a bedroom... A bedroom town. There's no restaurants. There's no, you know what I mean. So there was. So you're you're the show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, so they were, you know, we did have a captive audience, but but the the thing that kind of catapulted us right out of the hole, which I don't know if we would have made it otherwise, because had we have had like one or two bad months, we didn't have any backup yeah. money or anything to survive with. Um, but I remember my mom calling me, we had been open for two weeks and she said, did you see the union leader today? Which is the newspaper here yeah. in town. I said, uh, no, no. Um, and she said, there's this article about you guys on the front page. And, um, it was just this unbelievable review of our restaurant. And at the time they used to, I remember they would give like the last two or three months of restaurant reviews, like a recap on the right side, you know? And it was the highest score they had given anybody wow. in, in months. And all these restaurants on the right side were, you know, Bernardo's Bistro and all these other, you know, uh, real real chef restaurants, yeah. you know? And here was me and my partner. We had no clue what we were doing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? Cooking like meat over fire, you know, as simple as you can get. And, but like you uh, said, there was nothing else out here like that. So you can try to go open a chef-driven restaurant and compete with all the other chefs who are trying to do the same exact thing, or you can do something totally different. And at in the early '90s or whenever, or the late '90s uh, in New Hampshire, this was something totally different. Sure, it yeah. wasn't being done yet. Right, so. there were a couple other barbecue restaurants around, but I remember I remember going to them and just kind of. There was Down and Dirty over on the west side here in Manchester that had been around for a while. And I remember, like, going there and just getting these, like, 
teeny little sides, you know. And then I went to the Red Bones down in Somerville in Mass and got this pulled pork sandwich that was just ginormous, you know, and it had a big pile of coleslaw. And I said, this is how I want to do it, you <laughs> yeah. know. And Because uh, um, everywhere else I had had like this, just a small little pulled pork sandwich on a hamburger bun kind of, you know. And uh, uh, and I was always discouraged when I would go to a barbecue joint and it'd give you this thing of beans that was you could just kind of do as a shot you know yeah. what i mean <laughs> it's like a, so uh so describe what the restaurant was like in litchfield was it was it kitchen was it counter service was it through a yeah it was, it was a little little hole in the wall we had four tables um it was byob you would order into the this little right into the kitchen you know um it it got so crazy out of the hole. I I remember times like just going over and taking the phone off the wall and throwing it in the trash and throwing paper <laughs> on top of it so that my partner wouldn't see that the phone was off the hook because I was the for the first two and a half years every meal that went out that door I cooked. Yeah, you know there was no getting. We were closed one day a week. There was no getting sick if yeah. I I. For two and a half years, I had to be there from open to close. And that one day a week, I did laundry and slept that mm-hmm. I had off, you know, because... This is another reality check. And it takes, oftentimes, you know, one year, two years in your case, even longer, five years Yeah, we, we, both myself and my partner, we lived off our credit cards. Yeah. For, we lost our credit cards after, like, the first year because that's, <laughs> we couldn't, we didn't pay them. That's how we were eating, you know, yeah. or not eating, but if we would go out to eat or something like that. Because that was the one thing I said when we opened the restaurant. I said... Neither of us had a family at the time. Neither of us had a car payment at the time. Neither of us had, uh, you know, a house payment or a family to support or anything like Sacrifice. that. I said we have yeah. we have food to eat. <laughs> We're opening a restaurant. You know what I mean? And we, as long as we can maintain a place for us to live. We're, we're going to be okay. You so, know? how long until it was after opening did you get this review that and that's about probably four weeks. Four weeks. Yeah, it was so, within. It was within the first couple of weeks. Of, within the first month. after that review, was it a game changer as far as business? Without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it definitely. I don't think it was a game changer as far as once again we had a line going around the block, but we still weren't making any money. You know, yeah. it was a. Uh, it's one of the things with barbecue and. I think barbecue is different than a lot of other restaurants or a lot of other cuisines just because of the fact that it all needs to be cooked in advance. Yep. Everything we have, the ribs, the chicken, the pulled pork, the sausage, the brisket, you know, most most restaurants, they come in, they open up, they turn on the grill, they turn on the fry later, they wait for people to come in. Somebody comes in, they make them a sandwich. Yeah, and then it's cooked to order. Yeah, and then drop them a pasta, I'm going to make them a taco or whatever it is, you know. But when it comes to when it comes to barbecue, everything has to be cooked in advance. Everything has to be hot. And if people don't show up to eat it, well, you're either throwing it out or you're serving somebody bad barbecue barbecue barbecue. that sucks yeah Yeah. exactly uh and that's a big reason why you see in barbecue and i would like to see more restaurants do this honestly i think it's a good thing to sell out every day you know and you just find out what that is every day and then you're not left with any leftover you're clearing out your inventory like it's a good plan but try explaining that to the people that show up somebody that's just traveled 20 minutes or a half hour 45 minutes to a restaurant what do you mean you don't have ribs you know what I mean? They are they they it's I hear they that. don't they don't get it. Yeah. You know, it's it's nice, yeah. 
some 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 of these small places they make it their their kind of their selling point. We you know I think my sign it in Litchfield actually for a while used to say we open at eleven until the meat's gone, yeah. you know, or something to that effect, yeah. you know. So yeah, and and there were there were plenty of nights at the end of the night we would we would laughingly sell what was called grill scrap combos because these people would come in and we were like literally out of everything and they're like no 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 i see you know and they were just like chunks of the rib that i had cut off and stuff you know they're like what about that pile of meat there you know no 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 that's those are scraps i'll buy them (laughs) so going back and you said it took a while um to get to the point where you're you're busy you got lines out the door but you're still not profitable when did that start to happen for you when did what start to happen? Profitability. It, the, I think profitability kind of really, it was four or five years really. And, you know, I mean, we were surviving, but that was it. You know, I think it was four or five years of, of surviving and just getting by. I feel as though I didn't see my friends for, for years, you know, or didn't have the ability to go. I used to tell them not to call me because, I knew you wouldn't I wouldn't want to say no. Yeah, yeah. And I knew I had to work, you know, yeah. like, you know what? Hey, we're going to skiing on Saturday. I don't want to know what I'm missing. Right. Don't, tell don't, me. don't call me. You know yeah. what? You know, I can't go. Why, why, are you calling me? why are you making me resent my business? Uh, so w- knowing what you know now, I feel like you probably could have reached profitability much sooner if you had known sure. a trick or two about costing. Uh, just Yeah. You know, no, I, I think my. I think my costs were always too low, and I think I was chasing that eight ball forever. You know what I mean? Even when I would get to that point of like, oh, I can, I can raise, I'm going to raise my prices. Inflation would catch up. I was, I was so far behind the ball that I was always there. You know, and and here we had. It wasn't until um, I think one of the big pivoting points for me. I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy called Rory Fat. Um, he he does these restaurant marketing seminar Sounds type things very and um, loyalty loyalty rewards. Yeah, 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 yep. Same same guy. Restaurant owner associated with him a while back, I believe. Restaurant. Yep, owner. yep, yeah, yep. So um, he he had these this. I think it was this. It was twelve or fourteen hundred dollars for this whole restaurant marketing system. And when did you go through this? This was this was maybe a year or two after I bought. After we opened in Litchfield, okay. you know, I had seen his thing, and and this I think was the big. Actually, we had we were just we had just opened here in Manchester, and because uh, we had a fire in Litchfield, that was kind of. The, I was going to ask, like, when did you make the switch to Litchfield? In, to yeah, we Manchester? we had a we, the place in Litchfield. We um we opened up a a roast beef restaurant in this little sub shop that went out of business on the other end of the building we were in. Uh, figuring we we would we were kind of getting like half of the people from Litchfield for lunch one day and then the other half was going to this sub shop in town that I felt as though I could you out, do better outdo yeah. you know yeah. so uh so we opened this um this roast beef restaurant uh sub shop and then um we had this small fire at the rib shack at the other end of the building uh which uh our, the landlord of the building didn't have the right insurance, and so six months went by, and we were just kind of in limbo running that sub shop. And that's when we found the this location in Manchester and um, just started originally in the, the small little part up front. But that's another lesson right there is you don't have to – how many seats is this restaurant today? 
Oh, yeah. 150, 200? No, 300. 300, yeah. including outside yeah. patio? Yeah, yeah three. You don't have to start with 300 seats. Right. What did you start with? You started with four tables in, in Litchfield where you yeah. could, right? Right, right. With and then yeah. you developed a reputation, yeah. and that opened doors for we you. Were, we were super, super fortunate in this location that we had the ability to grow into it. You know, we started with the front room, and, then, and, then, we, and then we kind of we took over. This barn was something else. It, this barn's a... 250 year old barn from um from londonderry that got moved here not not with us but prior to us got but it. but we we took over the downstairs and then we were able to you know so many so often these restaurants they they start like we did very small and then they go okay we're gonna we're gonna you know open up a real restaurant now well, what determined okay. your growth what's what you, what's that what determined your growth um, when 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 would you would you get these opportunities? Like when you started, just you said the, the space out front a couple of years after opening in, in Litchfield. In I think part. just just you know the 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 marketing. I think what one of the things that getting back to to it would even when we moved here, it, every meal was served by me. You know, and uh, one of the things that Rory Fat kind of taught me was. There's there's only so much that you can do, you know, and and would you rather be a a, um, a you know a small engine repair guy and have a shop and you're out there redoing the you know rebuilding these lawnmowers and how many lawnmowers can you rebuild in a day, or would you rather go and say, hey, I don't own a small engine repair shop i own a a marketing company and that marketing company just markets the small engine repair shop you know and and so now i got five guys out there making you know repairing engines as opposed to just me you know so the lesson was are you do you want to be stuck doing the work or do you want to be stuck working on your business promoting what you've created that was a, that was the huge change for me was that you know up until then i was throwing myself the bomb and having to run to the other end of the field and catch it yeah you know i think david scott peters uh his his explanation is uh, so crystal clear when it comes to what we're talking about right now he says create a you don't want to create a people dependent business. You want to create a system dependent business and then put great people into the system. Right. Sure. And at this point, if you got sick, like you said, if you got sick, you didn't open that day. I couldn't get sick. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the business depended, it hinged on you and your ability to do the thing. And you have to create systems and processes and, re- and create layers between you and the work. And when you build those systems and you put people into the systems, you show them how it's done, you give them the tools and resources they need, right? And then you slowly transition out so you can work on the business and scale. And that that was that was the big thing, you know. Nobody nobody wants to work for uh, you know, twelve hours on the line and then get out of work and go work on the marketing marketing on facebook or what have you you know what i mean so so that that was that was i think that was a big part of our change was all of a sudden setting a goal of saying okay we're gonna do this much not not like i want to do this much more i want to double my sales by next year so you would set a goal to double your sales yeah that was that was my that was my initial goal when i took myself out of the kitchen and and started letting other people cook you know which which i had a hard time doing and that was my goal was to, to double my sales within a year and we 
came really close to doing that because I was I was able to really look into um, you know a lot of the marketing ends of things and and do what it took to to bring people in. I learned that you know I did I hated couponing and I don't do much of it didn't do much of it then and I don't do much of it now but I learned that when I do do it I do it very aggressively you know um I'll do a big blast of like here's $15 gift certificates you know what I mean or you know I love the I love the marketing back then of I would literally go around and give people $15 gift certificates at the car dealership and things like that here Gorilla marketing here give this out you know yeah. what I mean? I had no, there was no come in and spend $30 to get this $15. It was, I remember I took out a radio ad once and said, geez, we've been open for 10 years and I'm amazed how many people I talk to that have never been to my restaurant. If you have never been to my restaurant, I want to buy you dinner. Send me an email at such and such, such and such, and I'm going to send you a $15 gift if Okay. What's happening in doing this, though? What are you doing, essentially? What, what's happening? What's the, what's, what's the strategy here? Strategy is to, I think, to create, um, bring customers in and create return customers. One, you know? but you're saying, give me an email, right? Shoot me an email. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And I'll right. invite you in. So what's, what's happening then? Yeah, I'm certainly collecting email addresses. You're building your list. Yeah, building right? my list. And and that's what we did with, with Facebook. We have we have 18,000 Facebook followers now. And, and in- that started initially by me at one point saying, like when Facebook first started, come in and... Uh, uh, if you sign up for my Facebook, I'll give you a free pulled pork sandwich. And you're not giving food away. You're bartering food for contact information. Exactly, yeah. And that's the thing you've got to get over. You're not giving food away. You're investing in an opportunity to start an open-ended dialogue with your target market. Mm-hmm. Right, and you can remarket and segment with that list. Once you get the contact information, the sky's the limit. You have to think of it that way. And this is, if you were to go to a a, a marketing consultant today, this is a, exactly what they would tell you to do. They would have you barter something of value, a food, get food into mouths. Right, so they're trying your food, and you're getting the contact information. That's perfect. Um, I'm curious though. You started talking about the significance of working, moving from working in the business to on the business. Take us really through that process. What you had to go through to remove yourself from cooking every meal. It was it was definitely a tough <laughs> a tough transition, you know, because as I said, for two and a half years, every meal was you know, I had put out. And so it's kind of letting, you know, letting go of my baby and letting go of, um, it's, you know, I find it, I find it tough to, um, you know, it's tough to train people. It's one of those things that I, I have a lot of people that come to me over the years is, you know, everybody opens a barbecue trailer. It's see or a little, you know, I'm, I'm going to open this little barbecue trailer or whatever, which I think is, usually the biggest failure because I think little barbecue, it's what makes it tough. There's only, that's why these people only hang on for a year or two because there's only so much you can make selling a little bit of barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because there is not a lot of profit margin in there. You're, you're selling meat, mm-hmm. meat, meat, meat. There's no filler. You're not, you know, it's not a Mexican restaurant where you have a scoop of rice and a little bit of, some baked beans and you know some cheese and you, you, know. you can increase perceived value by adding 
cheap things, inexpensive ingredients. Right, right. Whereas, whereas here we're selling just meat on a plate. It's bones of ribs. It's it's a chicken on the bone. It's you know it's uh, so <clears throat> that's the um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> You're saying people start the trailers and then that oh yeah, so it's it's. I think it's a, it's tough to get to that point where I think we're successful now because we've grown to the point where it's a, you know we feed the masses you know and um, I think that's a uh, I think that's a tough thing to make that transition from the 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 trailer or the small um, you know and that and that's what that's what happens like people will come to me and they'll say hey we tried this this trailer down in, you know, wherever the hell it is. And, and, uh, it's, it's, this guy's killing it, you know? And I'm like, well, yeah, it's, it's this one guy, you know what I mean? He's, he's, he's making, the tough part is, is getting 30 people to produce good barbecue. You know what I mean? One person can do it consistently. (laughs) How do you recreate yourself and others so that they deliver at the same quality that you would if you were behind exactly and that and that was i think that was the the toughest thing because and that and that's what i you know that's great that this this guy out of the trailer down the street can you know produce this amazing barbecue because he's cooking 10 racks in a day you know what i mean he's babying those 10 racks and he's he's not cooking the volume right he's watching it all so. so how what was that process like you said this was the toughest the toughest thing for you was getting out of from behind the kitchen right what things did you do, reflecting back, to remove yourself slowly over time? And what things did you start implementing, like systems or processes, that helped you do that? I think, I, I, you know, I think it, I just learned to um, rely on other people, you know, uh, to surround myself with with good people, you know. And, and I, think, I think every time I've done that, my business has grown more and more and more you know like in the last five years um we our our general manager that we have now i i always said you know we had gone through several general managers who were just kind of a waiter that <laughs> transitioned on the ladder <laughs> yeah we here now you right, now you're general manager because general you, manager you said one of the hard things was for you to give up the the, the, the trust or the, the the extend the trust that people would be able to do it as well as you um, that was hard for you. What was the inner dialogue for you to get over that? How did you? Was there a moment in time or something that somebody said to you to help you get over that hurdle? Um, I think it was just a matter of realizing that if I wanted to grow the business to where I wanted to get it to, it was something that I had to do. You know, I had to let go. There was no way in the world that uh, that I was going to be able to be that one guy putting out all these meals every day, you know, and I, I realized that it's not sustainable. Uh, yeah, it's not sustainable. And I realized that, you know, back to the, um, you know, one of the things, like I said, Rory Fats said, and, and this, how this kind of worked for me because I was a, I went to school for graphic arts. I was a printer. I owned a printing company. Um, I knew how to do design yeah. and such. And so when Rory fat said, you know what, you're not in the restaurant business, you're in the marketing business and you have one customer and it's your it's restaurant, your yeah. you know, and that kind of, that clicked with it's me. A paradigm shift. You know, I, I said, all right, I get it, you know, and, and I pulled out and yeah, there's going to be maybe there, Maybe there are going to be days where there's 
you know, the guys in the back aren't going to put out the quality that I put out, you know, I'm going to have to deal with that. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to deal with that in whatever ways, either by properly training them and by apologizing to the guest and, you know, making up for, you know, that's one thing I've always, another thing I've always done for, since the day we open, I have a unconditional hundred percent guarantee on anything, you know, I never, ever want a guest to pay for anything that they're not happy with. You know, I put my phone number on the web page, put my phone number on the menu, um, it's right underneath your bio, you know, just kind of, um, I, I want, if somebody wants to be able to reach out to me, I want somebody to be able to reach out to me, you know, and that's the... Well, uh, how many customers have you been able to win back because of that? I think it, it's disappointing that a lot of times, uh, a lot of times I'll reach out to a customer maybe on, on Yelp or something like that. And I, and I'm, I'm, I'm always the first one. I'm like, you didn't have a good experience. I want you back on, on my dime. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll please, please come back. Obviously we had an off night or whatever the case is, or maybe, maybe we're just not a match. Maybe you just don't like our food. Well, we'll find that out. You know, next time if you come back in, if you come back in a second time and I pay for it and you still hate our food, then yeah. maybe. So, so I'm, I'm kind of curious because I want to kind of get back into the evolution of Casey's. Um, so you, you move over to Manchester. This is like, what, three or four years into being in business. So the year now is 2002, 2003-ish around that no, actually, two thousand two. Two thousand two. Yeah, we we we. Uh, I remember we had our um, the New Year's Eve party, the two thousand. Remember, there was the millennial year, yeah. and they thought everything was going to go Y two K. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I didn't have anything here, but I remember I had the downstairs, and uh, I had a bar, and I invited all my buddies down here, and we. So what was what was the improvement from this location, just where you were in the front then? To versus to where you were. Oh, well, out in in Litchfield, it was just that, yeah, it was, you ordered up to the window. It was BYOB. Um, you know, you would, you brought in, I remember so many nights, that was the, the worst thing because people would bring in like their own six pack and they'd be done eating and Greg and I would be sitting back in the kitchen for an hour after we cooked. Yeah, we're just like, oh man, (laughs) will these people please finish their beer and they're out there talking and you know, it's one thing if you're sitting here making money by selling them more beer. Yeah, right. (laughs) So the the new location, you got a bar. Yeah. How many more seats? You went from four to? Four to maybe uh, 50 at the time. And, uh, so that was a, uh, that was a big, uh, a big deal for us. And we also went from Litchfield, which was, Litchfield's awesome. It's kind of a little farm town. And in the summertime, it's a, it's a nice little country drive out of Manchester. Um, works out well. There's mini golf and go-karts out there and stuff like that. But what happens is when the, in October, when the time changes and it's four o'clock and dark, dark and people get home and all of a sudden that nice little country ride out to Litchfield becomes a long, dark, lonely road. (laughs) road. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I remember like nights standing out there in January, just kind of looking out the front (laughs) window, like, can we go home now? Cause there's nobody coming, you know? Real quick, like we did earlier, you kind of like gave me the big picture of what was going on early in your career. Um, you moved to Manchester in 2002, 20 years ago. What, without getting into detail, but take me through those like evolutionary steps that happened. Well, I think, I, I mean, I think it started with the, um, you know, we, like I said, we had out front, we had the lower level initially when we opened up. We tried doing a, a blues bar down there. We had that for about six months, lost 
all kinds of money. Um, so we closed that. And then, uh, and then we had, we had just the upfront space. Uh, eventually we, um, we took over this top level here. And, and then I went to, I went to, I think a big transition. The first big transition was what, what uh, year was it when you opened this space up here? Uh, probably, um, 2003. So not long after 2003, 2004. Um, I think the big, the first big transition was I had gone to Key West and I was overlooking, uh, we, I stayed at one ocean drive and overlooked this tiki bar and all these colored picnic tables and stuff like that. And there was <laughs> used to be this little gazebo out in the backyard that I always talked about converting into a tiki bar and um came home and convinced the landlord at the time we own the property now but i convinced the landlord at the time to allow me to convert that gazebo in the backyard into a tiki bar and so that was a big transition of uh you know being able to to do that and this and up here none of this bar was here or anything up here this was just a it had a gross brady bunch Plaid carpet on the floor, and it was kind of our dining room area. Um, we built this bar, I think, five years ago. We put the bar in and all the TVs and things like that, kind of converted it from a see, dining room. I see. I think what happens is people they'll, they'll come to a restaurant they love, like Casey's Rib Shack, right? And they go, This is what I want to create. But they don't realize that what you have today took you 20 years to get. Exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah. and the, the the details to the bar, all these little things, they come with time. And I think it's good to have vision. It's good to want to scale. It's good. It's good to have desire to grow. But don't sink the ship trying to get those things that you haven't earned yet. Right. You know, right. don't overextend. Don't get we, ahead of your skis. One thing from from day one till today, other than when we just purchased the property. Congratulations. Uh, by the way. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, one thing that we never owed anybody a penny. You know what I mean? We never, I never took out a loan to do anything. And, and Greg and I always put everything we could. We, you know, I think for the first 10 years, we barely paid ourselves, you know, over 10 bucks an hour. You yeah. know what I mean? Cause we still were in that situation where it was going we, back into the business. Neither of us had a house. Neither of us had a, you know, a big, uh, lifestyle style to support or anything like that. And so we, we were able to put it back into the business. So when those, there were certainly some tight years coming out of coming through winter, you know, yeah. or coming when summer going to get here. Yeah, when yeah. things are good, are you are you spending that money? You're burning it, or are you putting it away to get through the winter? Right, uh, right. and yeah. So that that's the uh, I think that's one of the you know the biggest things is we never we never spent money that we didn't have. That's you know, every every step of the way was you know, uh, and it's. I think I, um, you know, I, I think there gets to a point where you you feel a little bit more confident in doing that, you know, after after the amount of time that we've been through. You're like, all right, we don't, you know, I'm not afraid to borrow money now if I want to do to to expand or what have you. But I think there's a there's a period when you're when you're growing where it it can can crush you. you Absolutely, know? it's an, yeah. For sure. So I've kind of pegged you at this point as somebody who's your strength, your strong suit is the marketing, is the promotion. Um, and that's one of the things that coming into this, this interview that I noticed. I noticed when you search your name, you see a lot of news articles about things that you getting involved 
right? And um, basically, there's a lot of that kind of content out there that I found. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sitting behind you, I see that you have a mug club, which is another, sure. you know, it's, a, it's, it's in a sense a marketing um, scheme. Not a scheme, but yep. it's a way to bring people in, right? Yep. So out of the 20 plus years you've been doing this, 24 years you've been doing this, um, what are some of the most successful marketing campaigns you've had? What are the most, what, what's your best return on investment, time and money? Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I thought the, I think the, one of the, the, the great, the great ads that I, there were a couple, there were several, uh, good campaigns that worked really well. The, the one of the going on the radio and taking out literally a week of ads saying, Hey, if, you know, if you've never eaten at my restaurant, I, you know I, mean? I think yeah. I, I think I sent out, um, Close to two thousand fifteen dollar gift certificates, you know, which was a little intimidating because <laughs> if they were to have all come back, you know, it, it just it two thousand times fifteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would have. Um, and uh, so that that was that was very uh, successful. Um, uh, and um, another. This was kind of a, a neat one. I went out and got um uh I bought restaurant I forget the name of the, the web page. I bought a a web page called uh restaurantinfo.com or something like that. Rest restaurant something dot com. I'm assuming this was early two thousands if it was available. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well and um and and what it was was it, it might have been called restaurantquestionnaire.com or yeah. something like that and and then i took out this ad in the newspaper and i said hey it would you know if you'd like to win a free 15 dollar gift certificate to uh one of many area local favorite restaurants go to restaurantsurvey.com and fill out this questionnaire so the questionnaire basically said, you know, how old are you? What was your email address? Uh, how often do you go out to eat? What are your f- top five favorite restaurants? Uh, all these things, anything that I might wanted to know about a particular person and we'll send you a, and restaurantowner.com or whatever is going to send you a coupon um, to one of your favorite restaurants, you know. Well, so we got in just, yeah, a couple thousand replies so i collected all that data and everybody got a coupon to kc's you know that was the thing so there was there weren't 10 other restaurants it was (laughs) just (laughs) but but what you're doing is you're you're again you're you're collecting data this time not just an email but an email and demographic information like who this person is what they like what they're looking for you can do that today with mailchimp or even uh what is that uh, mails oh that was mails I'll probably have to come back to this. There's a survey tool out there. Is oh, I know. Yeah. Mail? I know. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. My, right. What is it? Survey Monkey. I knew there's a survey monkey. monkey. Yeah, yeah. Survey yeah. Monkey. Uh, you can recreate that, um, or even Google Sheets you can put together, mm-hmm. and then within your email or on your Facebook page. But I mean, you were doing things back then that are like to. to perfectly executed today but just using different mediums you know well i think i think you know certainly um 
obviously Facebook marketing isn't what it was, <laughs> you know, because they've changed their algorithms so yeah. much over the years. It isn't what it was. Like, if I don't boost a post, you know, it, it'll get a little bit of love, you know, yeah. or, if, you know, I can I can definitely see if I post once a week, those those posts get a lot more exposure than if I post every day. Yeah. Once I start posting every day, it it drops right down. I go down. It'll it'll be 70 people will see my post. You know okay. what I mean? It's not in thousands. And I have, you know, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there's a ton of restaurants you follow on, you know, I, I, I know there's hundreds of places I follow on Facebook, but I never see them in my feed. You know, it's, it's a rarity that you kind of see these places in your, in your news feed. And that's, that's because there's been no interaction between exactly. you, you know? Exactly. So, um, and because, Facebook doesn't want to overwhelm you with just a, a sh- ton of ads or promotions or posts yeah. from restaurants. So um, I think that uh, uh, lost my train of thought again. The um, oh, with Facebook marketing. So that that's been a a great uh, a tool for us because we have close to twenty thousand now. And even though I have to pay for it, I do call it the the people funnel because if there's a time or an event or something like that for a couple hundred bucks, I can reach thousands of people, you know, and and so what is your best Facebook marketing ninja move today with, with the current algorithms, with the current landscape that we're in, what's working for you? I find uh, uh, marketing to, uh, I, I feel it works best for me to market to my people who like, Casey's and their friends, you know, I think chances are if you like something that you're, you're birds bu- of the same feather, your together. buddy's probably going to like it too, yeah. you know, or, or you have said to your buddy, Hey, we love going to this place, Casey's, you know? So I think it has a lot more effect than just kind of going in front of somebody that has no connection with you whatsoever, you know? And so, so once you identify, so you're, you're basically going into the back end of Google ads and you're saying, I want to market this ad to people who are friends of somebody who has liked. Right. Cases. Yeah. You can choose when you're, when you are doing Facebook marketing, whether they want to do it, or you can choose a geographic area or you can, you know, say, I want to market within 10 miles or 20 miles. You can choose your age group. That's the great thing about facebook marketing that you know compared to taking a an ad out in the paper that's just a, a hey look at me type ad so you know what about this this balance between um you know you want to engage with people on these platforms right so for example yelp if somebody ba- writes a bad review your your standard operating procedure would be to reach out to that person to invite them back like you mentioned earlier can people go too far and when they do go too far how do you handle that what on yelp <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I know you, you you picked up some media around your reaction to a. a yeah, there's there's definitely a um uh there's a there's been a few people that I've I've had to slap down. You know, I mean, I, I think it's uh, important as an industry that we start pushing back a little bit. Honestly. Almost almost anybody that has a, a reasonable gripe, you know, of like, hey, I, the ribs were dry, or this was dry, or I didn't like this, or I didn't like this. 
I'm I'm going to bend over backwards, you know, and and I want you know I always I reply to pretty much every Yelp review, whether it be good or bad, you know. If it's a good one, thanks for dropping us the good word, you know. If it's a bad Yelp review, I publicly will usually reply saying, "Hey, reach out to me. Here's my phone number. Here's my email." You know, like it. Unfortunately, only about probably twenty five or thirty percent actually do reach back out, you know, after I've said, I don't know if sometimes maybe they're shocked that here the owner is calling me, you know, trying to get me back in, you know, when I've just gone and done this. And people blow stuff up on, they feel, you know, they, they it, everything's way worse on Yelp, you know. It's yeah. just kind of But there was that. one circumstance. I think that is the, the appropriate response is, hey, we mess up. We're sorry. What can I do? You can win people back. And even the, the, the dialogue that's unfolding, other people will see that and they'll see, wow, like these people are on top of it. Like you might even win new customers that way. Sure. Because of how you handled it. Because they feel as though if, if they do have a bad enough. thing, they're going to, they're going to, you know, they are going to hear back, you know, it's exactly. like a guarantee or but something. But every once in a while, you get one of those customers who is clueless or just entitled or doesn't understand how to be a grown ass individual. And they, they drag your name through the mud and they don't have a, 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 a foothold, anything to stand on. They, there's no reason for it. Right. As, as a matter of fact, they were wrong, you know, like, Oh yeah. There's been, and, and there's the, been several, several times that we've, we've kind of gone a little, Almost, and I think we honestly, I think the industry is guilty. Mostly, big corporations are guilty of conditioning the consumer to think that if they just complain, they'll get a handout, they'll get something free, or the customer is always right. Uh, but the truth is, no. Like we, we've we've almost broken society, right? Because people don't know how we've we've learned a ton about how to be very hospitable, but we've forgotten how to be a guest. Sure, you know what I'm saying. There's almost a sense of entitlement associated. It's very transactional today. When is it? When does a guest go too far? When when does that happen? I just it's it's amazing how how many times and and I get it. People have bad days. I have bad days. Yeah. You have bad days. And 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 somebody's somebody's going to get the wrath of that. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Someone's going to be it, on the receiving end. Yeah. I mean, there's been there's been times where of you know somebody comes in here and they're like, I got there and I sat at the bar for. Five minutes before anybody walked up, and then I, my beer was empty for fifteen minutes. And blah, blah, blah. we have cameras all over the place. Yeah. You know what I mean? And a lot of times I'll go back and I'll watch, and I'm like, "No, you sat there for forty-five seconds before the first." There's a lesson to be taught here, though. If you <laughs> sit for five minutes in a restaurant, that five minutes will feel like fifteen minutes. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, Without so there is doubt. some. There, there's like a time warp that happens. So. Without a doubt, but yeah. it's uh, you know, so. So there's people like that that you know that I'll go back and and may call out on the fact of their accuracy, you know, or but um, you know, but there's been there's been other people who have called out. There's one lady we literally went. I had people calling me from restaurant tours from Canada, from California, all over the country, saying, you know, kudos. I wish we had the balls to kind of smack down, you know. What happened in this one circumstance? What was the review the, in that particular one? Um, there was a group of people that came in and they started, it was the middle of the afternoon. They were, you know, maybe been drinking somewhere else before getting here. And, uh, we had the 
some music playing on uh, I think it was a Queen song or whatever and We Are the Champions I believe yeah. and they were singing along and how, what's how many people approximately I think there were might have been 10 or 15 people okay, so a good a good group yeah good group yeah. and and it, it got to the point where other guests were asking if they could move and and things like that so so I just uh, my partner Greg actually went over and asked if they could quiet down and so they went home and just left this big long review regarding um how you know we were the fun police and you know and and this and that and that was you know it was a in the middle of the afternoon i'm i'm all about if we're out back in the tiki bar and there's everybody's half in the bag i'm i'm all about the more people singing the merrier you know what i mean but but when it gets to a point where it's where it's you know, inconveniencing my other guests. Bingo. That's the, that's the line. I think it's really important that we communicate where the line is. If at any point, one of your guests is either being rude or ruining the experience for other people, right? Their experience isn't more important than anyone else's experience. Sure. And when it gets to that point where your guests is ruining the experience for others, or being disrespectful to somebody else or one of your staff members, right? I think those are the lines right there. And at that mm-hmm. point, it's time to say, here's a lesson on, you know, just how to be a good human being. Sure. You yeah, know? yeah. And that's what you did. You kind of call them out per- publicly. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not afraid to do that in, the, in several instances. I mean, we had, we had uh, right after the, the craziness of the pandemic, I think we were just like, it might have... This past Easter, it might have been the Easter before that, actually, we were allowed to, for the first time, have a buffet, you know. Uh, nobody was allowed to touch tongs up yeah. to that point or anything. And, and they just changed the rules. Okay, you can have a, you can have a buffet now. And um, uh, it had been a crazy year or so. And, and we had this one guy come in. And we, I think we had a, prior to going through the buffet, we had a hand sanitizer thing. And we asked that they either hand sanitize their hands or they put on a glove. Well, this guy literally ran up and down two of my employees yelling at him. I'm not putting this foreign substance on my hand and this and that, you know, just being a jerk and had one of my girls crying. And, um, so, and he, he was, you mentioned the mug club. He was actually a mug club member, you know? And, uh, the next day went on Yelp after this Easter event, he was here for our Easter buffet and, uh, he went on Yelp, gave us this one star review, blah, 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 you know, all about, you know, us forcing him to put this unknown substance on his hands and he's not going to do it. Yelp ended up taking it down cause it was a COVID related thing, but, yeah. um, it, it he pissed me off so much and then I didn't see him and I, I put a, I put a note in his cup <laughs> and I, and I said, if this guy ever comes in, cause when he comes in, some of the bartender is going to reach me. up. Yeah. yeah. Come get me, yeah. you know? And, uh, sure enough, they, they came down to the office and Hey, this guy's upstairs, you know? Okay. So came up and I'm like, you know what? I don't, it really, you know, he was he was here with a date too, which was uh, kind of funny. You know, I know that. Yeah, <laughs> I'd, <laughs> I'd appreciate it if you did not come to my restaurant. I don't need, you know. I wonder I if you got a second date. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but, but basically, uh, you know, my GM and I, we both uh, um, told him to, you know, get out of the restaurant because it's, you know, how do you come to a place and 
how do you give them a one star? I said there obviously there's got to. I think my line to him was that there's got to be a two star restaurant around here somewhere you, you can go. Back, to, you know, you know, if you came back, <laughs> we deserve at least two stars. Um, so you, you're mentioning the Mug Club too, and that's one thing that I know. Um, for if you're trying to get liquid up front, opening a bar, if you have a bar and you want a, a bunch of upfront up, up cash, you can sell memberships to a mug club. Um, what is your approach? How did you guys model that? I don't, I don't know that the, I give a, a really great offer with the mug club. It's like $90. Every year I have custom made mugs made so that they're, uh, the year the mug actually has the date on it of when the, they begin uh, their membership. Yeah. And, um, so the original year, like three or four years ago said the founders club, you know, and, uh, so every year the design of the mug changes, the, they're all handmade in Montana and, um, uh, and at the, so you get the mug. It's a 22 ounce mug as opposed to a 16 ounce mug. So you get the same price. Um, but they're getting more. But they're getting more volume. beer. Yeah. Yep. I'm a, I'm also one of the few places that I because I'm more of a cocktail drinker than a beer drinker that you can have cocktails in your uh. mug. You know. So if you want to uh, come in here and get a uh, instead of a 16 ounce Captain and Coke, you're going to get a 20 ounce Captain and Coke or what have yeah. you. You know. Um, and then, uh, I, I just, I like the, I like the look of it a lot of, it causes a lot of people to ask about it. Even once again, it's one of those, it's one of those things that like the shovel, like the, you know, the campfire at the table, like the bucket. It's one of those things that people, uh, eat, whether they're a member of the mug club or not, they, uh, they kind of feel like they wish they were a member of the mug club. Maybe, you know, this must be pretty cool being a member of this club kind of type. Deal. So what are the benefits of the mug club? You get the annual revenue from the membership, right? Cause is it every year they have to pay? The I, I, I look at it more of a, uh, yeah, but like I said, the by the time I think the the ninety dollars, you get a free T shirt. You get to, you get to keep the mug every year. You're getting we, more poor. We have a party um, at the end of the year where I cook a dinner for everybody, and so you that's get some special all, like, events. At, that's like, all VIP included. Status. Yeah, yeah. Um, you get to take your mug home every year that you you know, and then it, you get presented with your new. So you, every year you get a brand new mug. For every year you get a brand new mug. Okay. Yeah, so you get to collect the mugs. So where you're looking to make the profit is creating the sense of belongingness that people feel special when they come here and because they have a mug they're likely to come back more often is that what your angle is yeah as well as i think other people you know what i mean i yeah. think i think i think it's just i i think just people coming in um that maybe have never been here before look up i i know i always got that feeling when i would go into yeah. i'm at a ski bar or something my like that too. i know what you're and, talking about and 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 it's it's appealing to me that oh Jesus, whether 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 one person bought one or not, you know what I mean. It, it, you're here on a Tuesday night, and you're like, oh, these, you know, kind of makes you think. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that come here that have bought these. Yeah, bodies, I, I think you're also kind of creating that that uh, FOMO, right? If you're missing out, that if you're not sure. part of the club, you're missing something, right? Right. And then, I don't know. There's a bunch of different things you can do, but do you have any advice when it comes to mug clubs? Things you learned the hard way, or things you would have done differently from day one? Um, I don't know. I, like I said, I don't, I don't really think of it. I don't think of it much as a, a moneymaker. I don't think it is a moneymaker. Okay. I, I think of it more of a, um, uh, as a marketing tool. I also, there's probably, 
there's probably 10 mugs in there that I give to, you know, I got these customers that come in and, and congratulations. I, you're a part of the mug club. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't want their 90 bucks. You know what I mean? You got, you're here five days a week. You yeah. know, I, that's honorary <laughs> mug club. members. Yeah. And there's a, there's a lot of those, you know, yeah. and I, I, I like that feeling of, but um, just that in itself, you know, you're creating these opportunities, these, these touch points where you can make someone's day, where you can make somebody feel valued and appreciated. And that's, to come back where we all started, familiarity. We started this conversation on hospitality and making people feel special. And these are all little touch points that you can bake into your operation to go above and beyond and make people feel seen and valued and feel familiar. Sure, and I and I think I think when yeah, when you're talking about familiarity, I think the mug club is 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 part of that. It's one of those it's one of those things. And as I said, I don't I don't think the mon- the mug club is a money maker for me. Um, by the you know by the, by the time of, it's more of a thank you to my customers as well as to if you're if you're to the point where you want to come in here and we have some mug club members who live in Massachusetts, you know, they, they, they ski up here and they, they travel through town six times a year to go skiing and they stop here on their way home and they're like, sure, we'll buy a, we'll buy a couple mugs, you know, yeah. and I, a, a lot of these people, I, they aren't, they aren't here, you know, I mean, there's a handful of them that are here on a regular basis, but a lot of them aren't, you know, and yeah. so it's, um, so that's why I say it's not really – it costs me a lot of money. The mugs cost me a lot of money, you know, to buy and have them made every year. And I give them to them. And then T-shirts, I have custom-made T-shirts every year that I give them to them, you know. Yeah. And I have this dinner that I put on, this party. That night's open bar all night long. But you're creating a sense of loyalty. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the um, – that's certainly, uh, you know – very very it's, important it's hard to put a price on that yeah yeah it's yeah probably it's sure. probably the most and return customers and loyalty is probably the you know one of the most important things and that's that's kind of like even now we i i don't do any real couponing or marketing in the summertime but january february is our slow time of the year and so now is when i do most of my hardcore marketing and that's to try and get you know, get people coming in. A, it brings in money during the winter time, during the slow period to uh, help support my my staff and servers and things like that because it's there's constantly because I have a I have one of those ten dollar off coupons out there right now that I sent out geez, eight thousand of, um, and uh, I feel compared to like. I don't think three dollar coupons work, you know. I don't think uh, no, that's be that doesn't cover the gas to get here. Right, it's yeah. not that nothing. Three bucks isn't going to make me go. Hey, let's go get here. Let's try yeah. this, you know. So, um, and and if you coupon all the time, I like when I first opened up, that was one of the things, you know. And then you you wouldn't put a coupon in. Somebody you'd see somebody in the grocery store. They're like, hey, I haven't been in in a couple of weeks, but I. Geez, I looked in the magazine and I didn't see the f- buy one get one free. You Those know, are also the people you don't want to be Ex- customers. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, it's like, you don't want the, the coupon right. cutter who's just looking. I don't. For I don't meal. do that just so you can have a free meal. You know, yeah. I do that to create frequency. You know, so that hopefully you'll come back again. And yeah. you know, they say if you can get somebody in here three times, you can make somebody a regular customer. Yeah. You yeah. know, and so a lot of times that's what I'm attempting to do. 
in the wintertime is... 70% chance more likely of somebody being a regular customer if they come in three times. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's certainly a goal of mine. And and why I, I'm, I market a lot to... I have another campaign I was just starting... Um, I was working on today. Some things came in, which is a just a scratch off. I buy business cards, and um, and I put different denominations on these business cards, like two fifty, ten dollars, five dollars, this and that, and then and then I give them to people to bring back in and scratch off on their next visit uh, within. So you don't and I, know. And I have a stamp that I stamp the date two weeks from now, so that it. There's it, a sense of urgency. Sense of urgency to come back in. It just doesn't go in their wallet, you know. Yeah. And if and if they if they throw it away, whatever they throw it away. It's a it's a business card, you know. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't cost me a lot. Can you believe we're already over an hour and forty minutes of recording time? Wow. It goes by real fast. <laughs> um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I want to make sure: is there anything that you were hoping we would discuss, or anything that hasn't come to the surface of the conversation that is just invaluable? Uh, get it out now before we move forward. No, I. I I mean, I th- I think uh, I think we we topped uh, a, a lot a lot of the points that are important as far as um, like you said the the work it takes the the sacrifice it takes to get to this point you know it's it's as with um uh it's I have a lot of people in the past that have come up to me that want to open a business and or a a restaurant, and I'm like, just give me forty minutes of your time first, you know, so I can either try and talk you out of it or prepare you for what you have coming, you know, and and I think that's so many of the the people I know that have attempted to try it and have said, okay, I'm going to dive into it, I'm going to open this little bagel shop, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. The reason why they fail a lot of times is because they just don't have the stamina to make it through those those First tough years. years. Yeah, you know, it's undercapitalizing. Right? Yeah, you just not gotta... everybody's willing to sleep in the bathroom. Right, exactly. You know, <laughs> for sure. Uh, so the mission statement of Restaurant Unstoppable is to I, I think I think with me sleeping in the bathroom, like I said, there were there were many things that were thrown at the fan prior to that and yeah. i said that, you know what this is my this is it this is my last my last quarter you yeah. know yeah yeah <laughs> my last quarter of throwing in the machine make it work right. i love it uh so the mission statement is to inspire empower and transform the industry uh, i'm curious who are who are you today who's the man you are today versus the man you were in 1998 when you opened how have you transformed I think I'm transformed, whereas I just I'm not afraid to, or I'm not as afraid to charge what I need to charge. You know that that was one of the things when I went to one of Rory's seminars that uh, in it was a uh, a hospitality seminar out in Ohio for a, a week, and it, it was more of a summit with. Uh, there were, I think, 16 or 17 other restaurateurs there, and we kind of got in a, a room and sat in this room for eight hours every day and just talked, kind of like we're doing now, you know, but with mm-hmm. eight other restaurateurs. Um, and uh, one of the things I got out of those guys was I, at the time, I'd come back and I'm like, geez, we have all these accolades you know of this and that and the other thing and we've been voted best barbecue for the last however many decades and we're um but we're still not making any money you know or and and they were the ones who said if you know if you are the best and you've been voted the best then you can charge 
the best prices, you and know. The, increasing the value or the cost of the prices is another sign of value. It's perceived value. If people are spending more than other places, they're going to kind of make the connection that you're probably better, you know. Sure. And there, there is a sense of like if you if you undersell yourself, like people aren't aren't going to expect it. To and be. It, it's, we're in a tough situation right now because of because of COVID and the yeah. cost of you know. I think every restaurant out there right now is sucking up in a lot of because nobody can. I there's no way in the world I can charge for brisket what I should be charging for brisket right now. I can yeah. only hope that it's going to come back down a little bit. You yeah, know what I mean? And yeah, up. like you know, I mean, I. Right now, you can go to the 99s and you can get a, a pound and a half steak tip dinner for like 22 bucks with uh, mashed potatoes and, you know, a salad and broccoli. Yeah. It would cost you more than that to go to the grocery store to buy yeah. the steak tips. But I'm, I'm, I can absolutely 100% support the sentiment that you're, you're, what you should be charging should be calculated to the penny of what it costs you and what, what margin you need to make. You know, mm-hmm. and every item on your menu, you should know exactly how much money you're making on that, and it should be a percentage. It should, right. You know, and and like charge what it's worth because yeah. you, you can't be the best if you don't have the cash flow and the resources to attract onto yourself the best people to come work for you. Right, it takes money. Sure, yeah. You know, you got to spend money to make money. Yeah, yeah, right? and that's and that's what when I I think I I started to to reference you know one of the things that when we were talking about surrounding yourself with good people, you know, yeah. there was, there was a, a point where we had had several general managers that had been just waiters that had been here. Okay. Now the, now the general manager, you know? Um, and as we were growing, I, there was a fear of, you know, we were very uncorporate, you know, but I wanted to bring in some corporate, management yeah. you know but i didn't want to find that balance of we are independent <laughs> but we have structure yeah i but I, you know what i mean i was always like i'm never gonna have a freaking employee manual you know and then it gets to a point where oh, there's like, a reason why these exist. we need an employee <laughs> manual <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know i would i would point anybody to restaurantowner.com if uh, right now if anyone joins restaurant stoppable network uh you get six months free access to restaurantowner.com i've um, been a Member for 20 years. Yeah. I kind of made the assumption when you mentioned Rory because I know they did a lot of stuff in the past. Yep. Yep. Collaboration. Um, and, and even though even though there might be months and months and months where I don't go on it, you know, I do enjoy the magazine and I do. The, Restaurant owner startup. Yeah. And there and there's a there's just a, a just an amazing resource of incredible information. It's your baseline. If you're starting a restaurant tomorrow, you don't have to start from scratch. Right. I wish, Thirty bucks a month I will wish get you yeah. access to a library of more articles and templates that you will ever be able to use. Right, mind blowing yeah. amount of information. On and that, again, yeah. six months free access when you join a restaurant unstoppable network. And this is a little selfish plug, but what we do in the network is exactly what you do when you went to that um, that seminar. You got together with eight other restaurateurs. You sat around and you helped each other out. You, you that's every day in the network. We're, we're hosting events. We're, we're sitting around a table and we're helping each other out. So selfish plug. Uh, before we go to the speed round, I, I the, again the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. You told us how you transformed. Uh, where are we today? And where well, do we? The, I think to finish up that the yeah, thought please. I had that just popped into my head in regards to like you said, you need the money to make the money or to, to surround yourself with the people. And, and, and there was that point five years ago where I wanted to bring in that 
you know, somebody from who had corporate training background because it yeah. wasn't when we started this i had no training you know other than working in the sub shop my partner had no training we were learning what we were learning through our employees more than anything we were learning from chefs that had been you know cooking for 15 years who were working for us and it was our first year in the restaurant business you know um but I think it, it came to a point where I realized we needed that in there, and it was there was a, that fine line of bringing it in and not alienating my staff or alienating my customers or things like that. And um, I remember sitting down with our current general manager, uh, who's also a, a partner here now, and uh, you know, and him basically saying, "This is what I, this is what I make," you know, and I and, yeah. and going. Okay, you know it was it was tens of thousands of dollars more than we had ever paid anybody before. Yeah. It was tens of thousands of dollars more than what we were making. Yeah, you know, and my partner and I said, "Let's do it." You know, and I how mean, has that changed your business immensely? Because he's a he's a machine, and I was happy to, um, uh, I was happy to make him partners with us you know after a while it's like geez we i want this guy on board moving forward yeah, <laughs> you know that. and and that's the uh that's the thing and it and it's uh you know and it we i think we did find that 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 balance between not you know not being too corporate but being corporate enough where yeah. you know we can be successful you can have systems processes and procedures and standards and be an independent operation. You know, right. like those things will help you go a long way. There's a lot we can learn from the corporate side and we can implement on a local level for sure. Sure, yep. Um, so I was just about to, to ask the question. We talked about how you transformed. Uh, what do you think is broken with the industry today and what needs to change about the industry? Where does the industry need to go? In what direction? <coughs> it's a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> uh I'm not sure. I'm hoping that the you know the the labor market comes back around. That's certainly been a a big fear of mine. You know, uh, uh, for some reason or other, I don't know if COVID caused people to uh, a lot of people to just decide that a we're not going to work, or I'm content not working, or I'm going to go work for my buddy's real estate agency. Yeah, or, but the restaurant industry was tough enough of an industry to work in before all the regulations. Sure. Now you have to go to work. The one thing that people love about this industry the most is the fact that we get to see smiling faces, right? right. We get yeah. to be smiling faces. We get to see smiling faces. So it's no wonder that like, in the, an industry that was notoriously difficult to hire, by making it, by over-regulating it, you're not going to make it better. Sure. You know? Yeah. It's like, you know, I, I, it, <laughs> I struggle with it all the time with the, you know, yeah, like all the cheeseburger. Excuse me, you know, after three times of asking, what? Yeah. yeah. So you can't blame the 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 workforce for not wanting to enter into this this vertical right now. I, I don't blame them. Yeah, it's not a. I suppose, and, and yeah. it's and it's been somewhere where you're, you know, you you people like now. I 
kind of content working in my office a little more than I yeah. I was before. You know what I mean? We have we have evenings here, like we have open mic night on Tuesday nights that's been going on forever, and it's hugely successful, and everybody knows each other, and everybody's like you know comes every week and is all lovey dovey and huggy, and I avoid it just because of that because I know there's going to be a lot of like oh my god how have you been you know yeah. and um uh, I'm getting. I'm getting married in Mexico in two weeks, so I have a uh, a, a goal in mind of not not getting sick. Yeah, for the you want to go and make weeks. your yeah, honeymoon. Yeah. I don't blame you. Your, your, your wedding, yeah, you want to make that for sure. I've loved this conversation, Kevin. Thank you so much. We're gonna take one more quick break to thank our sponsors. And we're gonna be back to bust out a true speed round. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more, all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using like toast to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Look, nowadays people rather send you a text message than speak to you directly face-to-face. That's just the way people choose to communicate and there's not much we can do about it or is there. Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is also convenient to you. Don't worry about personal information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the number that Talk to the Manager provides. You can even delegate customer feedback and divide the workload amongst your managers. Multiple managers can receive these texts. When one manager replies to a customer, the other staff will see their responses too. What I personally love most about Talk to the Manager is that you can fix issues immediately in private before complaints go public online. Many times when people do write a negative review, it's because they just want to be heard and talk to the manager gives them that outlet to be heard before they bring it publicly and drag your name through the mud. Plus with talk to the manager, get issues brought to your attention, whether it's an issue with your restaurant service product or facility, your guests will let you know whether you want to hear it or not, but this will help you improve using talk to the manager is so intuitive that no technology is required. If you can send a text message, you can use talk to the manager. Show guests you care enough to listen with Talk to the Manager. Head to talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60-day trial. That's www.talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable. 
We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I would say hospitality. What is your biggest weakness? My, uh, I'm t- too easy for people to walk on me. So to speak. <laughs> How are you overcoming that? Um, hiring people who aren't as easy as me. <laughs> what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team, when you're doing an interview? I look for longevity. How do you find I, it? I'm, I'm amazed. Well, I, I look and I see that, oh, geez, this guy worked six years here and three years here. You know, yeah. I think loyalty is the most important thing to me. I, you'd be amazed how many chefs come in or, or workers and they're like, hey, Dude, I've worked at every restaurant in town. I've worked here. I've worked here. I've worked here. You're and I not going to work here. I look back and I'm like, <laughs> look at this guy hasn't made it one year in one place. Yeah. And I at that you know, I mean in today's market, I might hire him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hear you, man. But, uh, what's your biggest challenge today? Uh, labor and food costs. Yeah, you know how are you combating it? Um, I'm sucking it up. <laughs> Yeah. I think things are. I think we're. I don't want to jinx. I mean, I'm going to knock on some wood here. I think we're coming out of it. You know, I think it's. I hate to overuse this term, but it's the new normal. I think people are just learning to coexist. Yeah. You no, know, I'm. I'm. I'm thankful for you know the the, I, the client base we had coming into this. You know, as well as I had so much space coming into this. Like when they went down to like fifty percent occupancy and things like that. It. it crushed so many of the restaurants that didn't have square footage and i fortunately had square footage that i wasn't even using so even though we were at 50 percent occupancy i was still at full occupancy you know and i think i think my customers were a little you know kind of more rumble tumble like <laughs> <was>, you know <laughs> whatever yeah. barbecue and beer will kill it yeah exactly. <laughs> what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team so this is a, a way to go above and beyond it's not expected from the guest but and it, and it, you can't get it anywhere else but you get it here every time you come uh i guess it, it comes back to not to repeat myself but uh uh the hospitality factor of, of trying to just make people feel welcome. You know, like I said earlier, you don't, you don't have to be the best at everything. You just have to be someone's favorite. Yeah. I love that quote. Uh, share one uncommon, uh, behavior you teach your team. So this is a core value, a way to be a way to act. Uh, I have one rule and that's to always, I always want people smiling, you know, just to, smile when people walk in and smile when people are leaving and it's one of the things i tell my my hosts up front you're the first and the last person these people see you know and um uh to you know just go out of their way and not not make the those people come to you but to walk to them and say hey welcome welcome to kc's you know we're glad to have you here i love it uh what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator uh, I'd say one of my favorites was Setting the Table, Danny Meyer. Yep. What's the biggest lesson from that book? Uh, once again, just the the hospitality event end of things. You know about the the importance of um, of it. You know everybody has this place that they go that 
doesn't have the coldest beer or the best burger in the world, but it's their favorite place to go because they feel welcome. Yeah. Uh, what is one service you've hired or outsourced to? So this is something that you could never do as well in-house, so you outsource it to have somebody whose job it is to do this one thing. Hmm. I don't know. Clean our bathrooms? <laughs> So you have a janitorial staff that comes in? Yeah. Well, I'll point out yeah. one thing that I thought was uh, I couldn't help but notice. I see that you use Bento Box. Yeah, yeah. So as somebody who recognizes the significance of online presence, you had your first website in 98. You're ahead of the curve for most people. Um, why didn't you keep that in-house? Why did you outsource We Box? We just recently switched. and I, I mean, literally a, a a month ago, we we switched from my web page that I have kind of reconstructed. I don't know how many times over the last twenty years to to Bento Box, just because I I really wanted everything integrated and all. Um, you know, there were a lot of mistakes that I would make because I didn't know what I was doing as far as, you know, like by having a PDF of your menu on your page, you know, yeah. which is just a photograph and, and it doesn't allow anybody searching. Somebody may search where are ribs near me. Yeah. Well, it's not going to pull it you can't up. scan a PDF. Yeah. And so, you know, the Google bots can't see it, you know, yeah. and so by having a, a menu where uh, everything is integrated in the web page, and that's why you can, you know, you can do a Google search for caviar and it will say, hey, this particular restaurant mentions caviar. Yeah. You can go, oh, hey, do you have caviar? You know, um, where, and, and that it was. Things like that that I think as well as the, you know, we do we do tons of catering all over New England and um, uh, the we have a catering store now and I wanted a, I've never really had a functional uh, merchandise store yeah. as well that worked, you know, that wasn't like a, hey, call us up and we'll take your credit card number yeah. down over and the phone. The way I describe it is Bento Box offers a dynamic website. It's not a static website. It's not still. It's not a banner. It's a it's a tool. Sure. They're going to give you tools and resources you wouldn't have had otherwise. And I, I should mention that they are past sponsors of the show. They are current affiliates of the show, meaning if you guys are interested and you need a website, if you're opening a restaurant tomorrow, you need a website. Uh, for all the reasons Kevin just listed, Bento Box is a great option. Um, and if you do use my links, actually, I will link to it in the show notes. Uh, if you use my links, they will. It's one of the best affiliate deals that's going on out there. And I like to be transparent. They'll give me twenty percent of the revenue that they earn from your restaurant for the next three years. Wow. A month. Yeah. It's it's gonna. It will support this podcast. Please use my links. You guys have no idea how much that supports the show. And I did notice that you were a Bento Box customer, so I wanted to get an organic. Did I prompt you before that? Nope, no, nope. not at yeah, all. Exactly. Not at all. <laughs> no, we it, it's uh, it was a it was a great transition. It's coming from somebody who has always built their own website. Uh, it was it worked out well. It's kind of it's 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 definitely a little bit more complicated because of the fact that you are trying to relay to somebody else what you need and all your idiosyncrasies and yeah. how no this form needs to ask these people this not this you know mm -hmm. what I mean and because you're dealing with somebody who doesn't run your business and so it took some tweaking but they were they were very uh they were very helpful and um uh it was it was a good experience I've never heard bad things yeah. In my time. 
It's always sure. gone. It went well. Uh, almost at the end, we have two more questions for you. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've recently adopted that's had a huge impact on your operation? I would say kitchen display monitors. We and just recently got those. So KDS in in conjunction with what system? Uh, with we brought we just switched from Upserve, um, which was our old uh, POS system, to Toast. Uh, once again, because I wanted everything kind of integrated, I wanted the online ordering. I love the way that now that orders come through and they go directly to the KDS in the kitchen. My my front of house hostesses don't even know that the order is being prepared back there until they brought them up and here's yeah. here's the order for Bob. You know what yeah. I mean? And so it it definitely saves them from orders coming in in the past you know and okay now i gotta bring this out back to the kitchen and um and so it's nice having that um as as well as the kds just makes it so much easier with you know we're very busy restaurant at times there would be literally six seven feet of orders stacked on top of each other you don't and, lose a, a a digital image right right you don't you lose, lose a it, ticket though <laughs> you can lose a ticket or a ticket yeah. falls into the beans and it turns black because it's yeah. you know or or whatever the case is and um uh not to mention it is, is it kind of gets it can get very unorganized as far as what time this order should be going out and sometimes you know maybe somebody calls in and they say hey i'm you know it's five o'clock i want to pick up a rack of ribs at six o'clock and that that paper slip goes out back gets stuck in the thing never see it again or or you know to see it again or five minutes later they walk out front here's the rack of ribs no the guy's not going to be here till six o'clock yeah, he's not so going to be here for an hour you save on whereas like the, the kds doesn't doesn't even show them that until it's time to make it yeah, you know awesome. kind of organizes things a lot more this is the last question it's a doozy get your ears open you ready, ready. if you got the news you'd be leaving this world tomorrow all the memories of you, your work, and your restaurant would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Don't open a restaurant. One. <laughs> That's a serious one. I mean, I, I joke all the time that my number one objective is to talk people out of this. You know? yeah, right. uh, so that's number one. Um, charge what you need to charge for your food. Number two. And um, if you do open a restaurant, uh, expect that it's going to be a hell of a lot of work. Number three. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Likewise. Thank you so much. Uh, We wrap up every chat, and this is how I found you. Carol Lawrence called you out. Who do you respect and admire? And if you found out there were a guest on this show tomorrow, you would absolutely be tuning in to hear that story and to learn something. I would have to say uh, Jeff Page over at Cotton. Uh, Cotton I wanna, restaurant. I want to say that sounds really familiar. I don't think I've had him on the show yet. Jeff Page, look at him coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. <laughs> and uh, how can we connect with you if we've really enjoyed today's conversation? Uh, maybe we're in the Manchester, New Hampshire area. And we're looking for a job and we want to come work with you. What's could, the best way to connect? Could certainly connect with us at Casey's Rib Shack at gmail.com and, uh, or calling us here at the restaurant, as well as on our website at ribshack.net. Uh, plenty of um, spots on there to uh, join our team as well. And I'm not sure what episode number this is going to be. It's probably going to be, I think, six or 860. 
in that ballpark. Stick around for the closing thoughts. If you want to check out the notes from today's episode, just head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash whatever the episode number is. We'll have a summary of today's discussion over there waiting for you, as well as how to connect with Kevin. And Kevin, just thank you so much for taking the time uh, to share your story, to share your mentorship, to share your knowledge, your values. There is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. I appreciate you having me. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kevin Cornish, for coming on the show. And man, uh, what an inspiring story. And I love I love making the example of people who just sacrifice so much early on and just do crazy things like sleep on the floor of their bathroom to get by in those early years. And it's not forever, but you guys have to recognize that there's a lot of sacrifice in the first year or two. And the lower your liabilities are, the less you 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 have to your name, I think the better shot you have of making it sometimes because you have less to lose. And you're if you are in the position where you can sleep on the bathroom of your floor, uh, I'm not saying you all have to do that. I mean, that's the worst case scenario. But if it's an option... You know, and if you if you can get by uh, with with as little as possible, what I'm trying to say is really control your liabilities in the early years. Uh, get your liabilities, the things, your monthly expenses, to as close as zero as possible, and that will really help you out in the early years. And just a, such an inspiring story. Uh, this is a long uphill battle. You know, you're gonna have to make sacrifice. Uh, speaking of long uphill battles and growing slowly over time, Restaurant Unstoppable is trying to scale and we need your help. One of the ways you can help is by using our sponsors. Today, we mentioned Bento Box. So if you head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 860, you'll find a link to Bento Box and click that link if you're in search for a new website, whether you've been in business for a while and you're getting sick of keeping up to date with the latest internet trends and keeping your website looking fresh or you're, you're opening a new restaurant and you need a solution. Bento box is one of the most recommended website solutions on the show. All my guests, not all my guests, but tons of my guests are using Bento box and I highly recommend it. Uh, and thank you so much for your support. If you use those links, uh, as you're listening to this, hopefully I'm in new Orleans. There is a blizzard hitting us right now in New Hampshire. Uh, we're supposed to get 24 inches of snow in the next 24 hours. So hopefully I'm in New Orleans as you're listening to this. Hope my flight doesn't get canceled. And then the following week, I'm going to make a short trip to New York City where I'm connecting with Michael Astoria from Ann Pizza. And I'm also going to be talking to the CEO of Bicky. Uh, we're going to be talking about the great unbundling. And I also have a, a workshop scheduled on blockchain and its ramifications on the restaurant industry. So join the network, be a part of the conversation, and I'll see you over there. Until next time, peace out.